This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. It's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 641 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. My name is Joe Patrick. I'm head number one. And once again, I am gainfully employed, so I won't be living off THN donations any longer. I'll just be embezzling. Ah, <laughs> back to business, I see. Yeah. And I'm your head number two, but my name is Matt Baum, and I can't stop reading Kelly Jones Batman comics. I sat up last night because I couldn't sleep, and I read the entirety of all three vampire books that he wrote. Red Rain, oh, no. Crimson, yes. <laughs> They're not you. good, though. No, they're dense. Woo, they are dense. <laughs> uh, he didn't write them. Doug Mench wrote them, Yeah, right? Doug Mench wrote them. In this episode, the Cosmic Longbox returns, and this time the theme it's chosen for our back issue reviews is When Heroes Fight Horror. Plus, we'll hit you with our must-read picks for next week, so get ready for a scary ride as the spirit of Halloween invades our favorite superhero comics. The Cosmic Longbox summons us into the comic time stream, Joe, so saddle up. Because it's back issue review time in the ziggurat! It's almost Halloween, and instead of revisiting the usual Halloween specials, the Cosmic Longbox decided we should take a look at what happens when our favorite superheroes or superhero adjacent uh, books get a taste of horror injected into their funny pages. Matt, Halloween is your second favorite holiday. What's your first favorite holiday? Thanksgiving, big time. Easter Sunday, I knew it. Yeah, big So Easter. why don't you lead us into this haunted house of horrors? We start today with Tomb of Dracula, number 44 from Marvel, 1975. This was written by Marv Wolfman with art by Gene Colan. And Tom Palmer. Now you're saying, Matt, I thought we were doing superhero books. We'll get there, okay? Wong is missing, and Doc Strange uses his powers to trace him to Transylvania. I guess he was shopping there. They don't really address why he was there at all. There's an Ikea. <laughs> there's, a tra- there's an Ikea in Transylvania. You can, o- you can only find one G- Gnecticazoink in that one location. That sounds about right. But when he yeah. finds him, he's in some kind of trance with two holes in his neck, which can only mean one thing. Dracula sucked Wong. So Doc Strange is off to whoop some vampire ass, but he's not the only one tracking Dracula. Old school Blade is on the case too, wearing his green goggles, but he doesn't do much in this two part crossover. They're setting up something where he's tracking like Hannibal King and that's going to happen in the next issue of this. When Strange does square off with the count, he unleashes all his magic powers. It is to no avail. And this issue ends with the death of Stephen Strange, who... It's a shame. We never heard from him again. Yeah. He really had potential. Coincidentally, is dead right now in the pages of the death of Doctor Strange. Is he, though? Yeah. <laughs> the story continues in Doctor Strange 14, and as you probably guessed, Steve turns out to be okay. I could only find the recolored version of this book for the newer edition of the trade paperback. And wow, does the recoloring make Colin's art look like crap. Colin's work on Tomb of Dracula is 
highly regarded and borders on masterpiece stuff, in my opinion. So why does Marvel recolor this crap like this? It, it blows my mind. I mean, there are reasons why, like re there are production reasons why. Ugh. And I understand it. I understand in some cases, but their recoloring is notoriously bad. This is disrespectful, boy. Yeah. I, like, come on. Wolfman's script is right out of a Hammer film with ridiculous narration and dialogue that just screams B-movie 70s horror. It's perfect for Marvel's Dracula. And Doctor Strange doesn't feel out of place here at all. I'm a huge fan of this series and I fell off trying to put together a run years ago, but after revisiting this issue, I might need to get back on task here. This was just fun. And I really like that Marvel's Dracula is the heavy hitter that he is the master of the mystic arts, a guy that deals with Dormammu, you know, yeah, shows the devil to fight Dracula and gets killed <laughs> it was great i'm going to buy mm -hmm. it <laughs> yeah of course and i mean th this stuff is classic for a reason and like i like i agree that the reproduction isn't great but gene colon's art is still it's amazing it still shines here i, I thought it was a, a ton of fun um it, it is like you said it's very kind of old school horror oh, yeah. movie um feeling um and sounding thanks to the script by um marv wolfman um and, and hey look Dracula is in the Marvel universe. Big time. Like he fought the X-Men. He yeah. fought Captain Britain. Uh, Doctor Str obviously Blade came from th uh, this book. So yeah, totally. It, absolutely. Like it only makes sense that Doctor Strange would finally get around to being like, oh, hey, you know what? Vampires are real. I should probably do something about that. Uh, and not wait until his manservant gets bitten. Yeah, I mean, he was just really pissed because uh, Wong got bit, basically. Sure, right. It's like, I, I mean, I, I know we don't weird. call Wong a, man, is, a manservant anymore, but... This is part uh, of, like, a trade paperback, and it's only... The crossover is two issues. It's this issue, and then it's Doctor Strange next. And the Doctor Strange issue is very much in the same style. And then they put, mm -hmm. like, three more issues in the trade that really have nothing to do with this story. And, like, I started reading them just to see... And I was like, what? What is this? And it was just like all the rest of it's like, oh, don't worry. The rest of it's Doctor Strange. <laughs> it was so weird. So the, this was probably part of a Doctor Strange epic collection or something that was just. No, it was, it was literally a four issue trade that had this crossover and then two more Doctor Strange issues. That's it. Weird. Yeah. Super weird. Well, I mean. This issue gets to buy it because like, you know, it's fun. Everything you oh, said is true. It's it's, great. It's, a, it's a ton of fun to read. Uh, and it's just, you know, classic spooky stuff. I also love when they power level stuff like this, you know, where we can see like, OK, obviously Dracula is a, a property that lives in public domain. That's why Marvel is just like, fuck it. We're doing a Dracula book, you know, whatever. Sure. Of course. And yeah. like you get to see like, oh, Dracula. Yeah, he can fight the Hulk. No problem. <laughs> like, right. That's cool. I love it. You know what? We're going to talk a little bit more about Dracula later in my first review. Yeah. Condemned to exist eternally, unliving but undead, and tormented by mortal passions, he is known as Dracula. Which is coming right now, actually. Yeah, it's like not later. It's happening now. Sorry, yeah, I forgot. It's my, we go in uh, chronological order here for each of our picks, and mine, uh, this one's first. It's Action Comics Annual Number One. It's from DC Comics. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, Annual Number One, Action Comics. Oh, what, this comic book must be 70, 80 years old? No. no. It's from 1987. Uh, so, yeah, it's Action Comics, you know, post crisis Annual Number One. Uh, the cover price was $1.25. That's fun. Uh, obviously it's a little thicker than uh, most books out at that time. Uh, it's written by John Byrne with art 
by Art Adams and Dick Giordano. I don't think I'd ever seen Art Adams draw Batman or Superman before. I don't think I have. Uh, yeah, that yeah, that's fair. It, free, it flipped my lid, man. I loved it. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, here is uh, some background. You know, we're just so used to saying uh, here's your solicit, but for uh, a little inside of baseball, uh, for the Cosmic Long Box, we kind of come up with our own solicit. Yeah, I mean, the solicits usually aren't out there. So. They're not, yeah, they we're going to tell you really, what happened. They didn't really exist. In this early post-crisis tale, Batman investigates a series of grisly murders in Gotham that lead him to a small South Carolina town and a supernatural creature that may be too much for even Superman to handle on his own. This story is set firmly during John Byrne's Superman team-up era of action comics, and it features one of the world's finest team's earliest post-crisis meetings. Like, literally, I think they'd only met once before this. Yeah, like, they don't, like, Batman doesn't know Batman that does Superman not know is Superman's Clark. identity. That nope. freaked me out. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> it's true. No clue. <laughs> Uh, Burn gives us the detective Batman that we always seem to be longing for these days, and his investigation takes him to a small bayou town called Fayerville. Uh, fun fact, I didn't really know they had bayous in South Carolina. Yeah. I thought it was more of a Louisiana thing. No, I mean, there's swamps all over the South. I guess so. Yeah, it's yeah. true. He quickly realizes that there's more going on in Fayerville than a mere serial killer and reaches out to the Man of Steel for help. Bad move, because that's how you end up with a super vampire. <laughs> Burn does an excellent job ratcheting up the sense of dread as the story reveals more and more about what the heroes are really dealing with. It's not that it's a mystery. Uh, the cover gives it away, but the script keeps amping up the threat as the antagonist realizes that Batman is there to stop her, not help her. Uh, like there is a distinct switch in the creepy vibe and it is cranked all the way up thanks to some truly excellent work by a young Art Adams and atmospheric inks by the legendary Dick Giordano. Now, we have had many comic shop debates about what would happen if Superman were turned into a vampire. Would his powers really stick around after his undeath? Would he simply explode to dust due to the amount of solar energy stored in his cells? That doesn't make any we may, sense. We no. may never know. His body's full of solar energy, Matt. But no, it isn't. The same way yes, your body's is. not full of food energy joe his, <laughs> right? his his cells store solar energy that's how superman's powers work they, he is a living solar battery he processes solar energy you know what else does that plants and they're not living solar batteries okay hey, i get but <laughs> superman is a living solar okay. battery he got the super he got a superpower recently to explode into a solar flare. Yeah, and that thanks went away. to Jeff Johns. We stopped doing but, that. <laughs> but it was there. You can't tell me it wasn't. Yeah, super ventriloquism wants too. <laughs> hey, he, hey come on. look, but it was there. Uh, thankfully, though, Batman didn't waste time waiting around to find out. Uh, we did also debate in the comic shop whether or not Darth Vader could defeat Dracula, but that is a conversation for another time. Action Comics Annual Number 1 is one of those comics where I remember exactly where I was when I got it as a kid. I was camping with my family in Yankton, South Dakota, uh, and at Gavin's Point Dam, and it totally holds up nearly 35 years later. This is a buy it from me. This comic rules. Yeah, it's great. And I and I love that they address that like, yeah, vampires can totally hurt Superman. They're like yeah, magic, they're magic in nature, and Superman has a weakness to that stuff. Awesome. And you've got like this really cool final girl 
who turns out to be the monster and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, it's yeah, great. Skater. Yeah. Skater. Uh, now, I will say her, I could barely stand her dialogue. Yeah, was, you really don't like it, it when, like, much, uh, like, when writers phonetically spell I've got to go on, yeah. get out of here, foul, corn, pop, corn, my bone, I'm, I'm going to get an education. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, they lay it on really thick. But you know what? Something that Byrne did that I loved is that they laid it on really thick. He laid it on really thick until she like switches to like yeah then she's just a monster like vampire, vampire like vampire lord mode and then she's like batman yeah she's not, just a you monster will not at defeat that point. me you will join my legions of the end it's like and it's awesome it's awesome because she was clinging so much to her humanity and yeah. then she was like fuck that shit I, I i'm here say- to eat batman and this vampire is like super scary like when she vamps out it's like really she's great scary. yeah no she's great rise from your grave Next up, we have the most terrifying issue of Captain America ever created. It's Captain America number 405 from Marvel Comics. It was 1992. I thought this happened before this. (laughs) This is like I I had I had blocked this out when we were making our picks. And then when I saw what you had picked, I was mad at you for beating me. I had to do it. I had to do it. And in my mind, this happened in the 80s, like so long ago that it was like, yeah, they were doing all kinds of stupid shit then. Well, nope. I mean, 92, 92, not, not too far out of this the is written by Mark Grunewald with art by Rick Levins. Cap and Doc Druid are in search of John Jameson, a.k.a. Manwolf and the Moonstone that turned J. Jonah Jameson's kid into the werewolf. While Cap and Doc are investigating the latest in a string of werewolf killings. Now, just to be clear, these are werewolves that are being killed, not killing people for a change not right <laughs> yeah no obviously obviously they are attacked by a mysterious werewolf hunter named moon hunter who is a really stupid costume he's got re- barbed wire hair yeah he flies a jet ski sort of this glitter looking wig thing and kind of a deathstroke face oh and he talks like a cowboy that's been kicked in the head by a horse but more on that in a little bit here <laughs> it would turn out dreadmond another character in a terrible costume, purple with a crazy horned helmet, has been working with Dr. Nightshade, who once tried to turn Cap into a woman, but now works in the, quote, turning people into werewolves with chemicals business, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's unclear exactly. She gives Cap the serum, and surprise, he turns into a werewolf with all of Cap's abilities and immediately busts loose because who could have seen that coming? It didn't even occur to Nightshade, who, by the way, does this for a living, mind you, <laughs> that this could be yeah. a bad idea. <laughs> Capwolf takes off, gets attacked by Wolverine because I guess he's there too, easily kicks Wolvie's ass, and then heads back to Dr. Nightshade because she's the only one that can turn him back. So, you know, full circle, I guess. <laughs> also, there's a side story with D-Man walking around, and he's like catatonic with amnesia. Yeah, but he wasn't like a few issues prior. So, like I looked. Yeah, I didn't know what was going on there. Yeah, no, I don't know. And there's a diamond back backup story that is unremarkable at best i will say that i've talked about greenwald's long run on cap in the 80s and 90s and how much i loved a lot of it but this this is as bad 
as you've heard it is. It might even be worse. And it's not just the story. The art is terrible. Keep in mind, this is 1992. We were neck deep in Rob Lee Fields and Jim Lee clones, each trying to outdo each other. But somehow, Cap, which can't have been selling well at all at the time, has the exact opposite of flashy 90s pencils. And instead, we get crap here. We get Cap with a golden retriever head. The artist literally could not draw a werewolf. He looks like he has a puppy head. Like he looks like a very good boy. Yeah, yeah totally. Like, uh, <laughs> if you scratched his belly, he would roll over. Right. The design on the costumes is terrible. The poses are just bizarre. And this art is bad. And uh, there's even like, a scene where Doc Druid and Dreadmond have a staring contest. They're like both <laughs> shooting lasers into each other's eyes. It's so bad. Yeah. yeah. The only nice thing uh, that I can say about the art is it's not as bad as the backup story art by Larry Alexander, which is <laughs> even worse. It's terrible. <laughs> Dreadmond. Where do you even start with a plot like this? I have no clue. Well, my look now, you did choose chapter four. No, I get it because I wanted the one, but I summed where up cat where cat turns into a wolf. Yeah. I, in the beginning of this, I summed up how we got here. It's like they took three chapters of going, well, John Jameson's missing and werewolves are being killed. We got to investigate this. <laughs> That's basically well, it. And like, you know, and, and uh, like later on, uh, like I have a distinct memory of the final issue of this chapter where once again, somebody at Marvel has a fundamental misunderstanding of animal species because in this saga about people that turn into werewolves, Feral shows up. Feral is not a werewolf. She's not even dog-esque. No, no. She well, is a cat lady. Not to mention the, the, okay, so the finale of this was an Infinity Saga tie-in. So oh, Cap right. is a werewolf uh, running so around. Infinity Wars, maybe? I don't know, one of them. But Cap is a werewolf running around with the team at that point. Has not changed back yet. <laughs> and like some cosmic shit changes him back just in time uh, so he can fight Thanos or whatever. <laughs> like, it, this like, is. What the, what the. I cannot believe this is the uh, same Mark Grunewald. And this just reads like he was trying to get fired. I don't know what he was doing. This is a leave it. This is a punchline. And it will be a punchline forever. Capwolf is laughable because it's just as bad as you have heard that it is. Oh, my you know God. What? This is terrible. I, you know what? I, I stand corrected. The cover I'm thinking of, it's not Feral. It's Wolvesbane. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I didn't think Feral was And Wolvesbane is definitely. No, this is after X-Force number one, dude. Uh, like, at the very really? least, yeah. uh, she, uh, she, uh, New Mutants 98 had come out. Yeah. So Feral was the, around at no, least. No, you're right. Um, but you're, yeah, but, Wolvesbane is the one that's on that. Well, this, it's, it's Wolvesbane. Yeah. yeah. So, so apologies to Rick Levins and Mark. Grew. Oh, all the werewolves show up in this. Literally all of them. Yeah. 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 Uh, and Wolverine. No, like, like, <laughs> and that's another great thing. It's like Wolverine, not yes, a werewolf. Like we know that. Yes. They try okay. to make Wolverine a werewolf and they're like, it won't work because his healing factor is not working. But yeah. he's so bestial. That I can still use my werewolf control powers on him. Right. Uh, now, by the right. way, that is Dreadman's power. <laughs> he can control werewolves. 
specifically werewolves. <laughs> yeah, which is like, uh, how did you find that out exactly? <laughs> you know what? Um, I'm looking at the um, the 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 fan made wiki uh, on fandom.com, which we uh, use a lot as a resource. Great, it's very good. It kicks ass. Uh, like, uh, well, it's better you know, than Wikipedia most times. Sometimes, like, uh, sometimes it's the same as Wikipedia, but sometimes you get some extra stuff that you're not. Gonna I find. find them more succinct usually. Um, well, sure. Um, you know that um, Dreadman's uh, uh, Dreadmond is not a code name. His name is no. Dreadmond. His Cole name Cromwell. is Dreadmond. You know, like Edmund. His but mother named evil. him Dreadmond. <laughs> Uh, it's a family name. You I know guess. what? Uh, know. AKA, uh, AKA Star Wolf, apparently. So, whatever. There you go. Um, but uh, so I'm looking at the covers to Man and Wolf parts five and six, which are uh, which was the issue that I was confusing uh, where Farrell did not show up. Uh, but issue six uh, has cable on the cover for inexplicable reasons. Um, it's not labeled uh, across a part of, as part of the Infinity Anything crossover, but I would not be surprised if like. They touched on it. Oh, uh, um, quick fact for you. Moonhunter's real name is Zachary Moonhunter. <laughs> Jesus Jesus. Like they didn't even think about this stuff. They did, literally just like farted this out. <laughs> oh, 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 so, okay. So Cap Wolf spoilers in the final chapter of Man and Wolf in uh, Captain America 407, Dreadmond turns into Star Wolf comma a cosmically powered werewolf mm. I, I don't know what that means why were they using chemicals to make werewolves then i like, don't know just bite I, somebody you know I don't it's know. so uh, easy <laughs> and then of course like naturally oh shit feral does show up she's just not on the cover oh cool um and then cable investigates oh, god no this comic book this this yeah this sucks it yeah. sucks so bad <laughs> it's just um, garbage <laughs> it, like I, I hate to attack like Mark Grunewald, RIP. You contributed so much to the Marvel. I universe. love Mark Grunewald cap. Dude, uh, we have like, reviewed several Mark and, Grunewald cap stories and been like, I love this. Yeah. And, and Mark Grunewald is responsible for the handbook and for keeping tight continuity and for making sure the, that Marvel never had to like reboot a billion times. Like, like DC did. And, um, you know, he was on that book for a really, really long time and they can't all be winners. I agree, but this is wet, furry garbage. Yeah, it is wet furry garbage. <laughs> no um, but yeah, this is uh, this is Man and Wolf part four of six, and uh, it goes from like, yeah, we're trying to ke- we're trying to rescue John Jameson to like whatever the hell this is, and it's just it's so bad. It's well, and, and like it's- Cap when he turns into the wolf, he's running around. He's like, Rawr, must find metal thing. Like he's doesn't know what his shield is, but he, he needs knows to how find to it. say the words metal <laughs> thing, but he doesn't know the word shield. And he's like, Rawr, don't listen um, to people. Rawr, fight. And like Wolverine shows up and he's like, Rawr, I know that guy, but I don't know why. Rawr, I'll kick his ass. <laughs> Yeah. What's happening? Um, and like you, you want to talk about bad coloring. Like I, this is also very obvious oh to me. God. A a re, a computer recoloring job yeah. for a trade or a reprint. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, and it's just it's very bad. God, it's very very so bad. bad. Don't read this. It's not good. Not even in a fun way. No. <laughs> Moving on to greener pastures. <laughs> Uncanny, oh, literally, I guess. Sorry, Uncanny X Men two thirty two from Marvel Comics. This one was nineteen eighty eight. The cover price is a dollar. 
Uh, well, they're green on the cover, at least. Uh, normally, they're gray. You don't have to uh, this prices. Book, <laughs> you don't have to what, do that. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. It's written by Chris Claremont with art by Mark Silvestri. And here is my solicit, in case you couldn't figure out who I was talking about. It's the Brood. A demonic race of Ridley Scott-inspired alien predators has made its way to Earth following an encounter with the X-Men in deep space. Uh, making their way to Dallas, the creatures begin infecting mutants hidden by their ability to take over host bodies, and only the X-Men know the true nature of the otherworldly threat. Uh, they must make it to Dallas in the next issue, because in this issue, I believe... Yeah, just, nobody, nobody ended up in Dallas they're in, here. They're in Denver, but they, I, I believe they do end up in Dallas. But they do crash in a space shark. <laughs> they do crash in a space shark. Uh, it's, 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 it's not a space shark. It is an Aconte. Uh-huh. And, and I'm going to get to that. Sure looks uh, like one to me. <laughs> well, it, yeah, I mean, it looks like a shark. Yes. It, uh, following a quick catch up on current events, which is not something I really remember them doing a lot back then. Maybe they did, but uh, I thought I was pleasantly surprised by this. Yeah, I don't um, remember that either. It was like a little recap page almost. Yeah. Writer Chris Claremont brings us uh, to a quiet New Mexico campsite and a group of friends that have no idea how much danger they're in. This opening scene has the sinister feel of a classic creature feature as the campers discover one of the broods living starships crashed in the mountains. And yes, it does look like a very large shark. (laughs) (laughs) And they ride around inside of its guts. Right. And you could have made it look like anything you wanted. But like, that's look good. What about a shark? Mark, like Mark <laughs> Silvestri didn't design them. I guess. Naturally, things go about as well as you'd expect for them, which uh, kicks this classic story into gear. Claremont sticks to the horror theme with the X-Men showing up to a fog-shrouded city. Mysterious strangers that are the only ones that know what's really going on. He even manages to live up to his reputation as a legendary master of long-running subplots with some troubling developments for Madeline Pryor. I'm not sure how far Inferno is away from this issue. It's got to be um, close, right? It's got to be really close. I don't know. Like, I know that Silvestri did draw the uncanny issues of yeah. Inferno. Um, so it might not be that far from, from this point. Well, and like, um, judging but, by Psylocke's costume, which is one of the fucking worst Psylocke uh, costumes. That's that armor. That's not armor costume. Bad Danny. ones. But like she was wearing that in Inferno. Definitely. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like Claremont was notorious for dropping uh subplots and then not following up on them for literally years. Oh yeah. Um, so I, I like I just got a little charge out of that. Image co-founder Mark Silvestri is on art here and he creates a really great B movie horror vibe at the beginning. Silvestri is still a very talented artist, of course, to this day. Uh, but there's just something raw about his early stuff that appeals to me so much more yeah. than his newer stuff. I love it. This is my Silvestri jam right here. Yeah. It's yes. so good. Uh, you have to remember that at this point in time, the brood had only made maybe one or two appearances before this. And it was a number of years earlier. And Silvestri's art, along with Dan Green's inks, really elevates their creep factor like Silvestri's brood are scary looking oh yeah definitely there are very few ex-villains that make you go oh shit it's blank quite like the brood an uncanny x-men 232 is definitely a building block in their terrifying reputation i'm giving this a buy it so the brood first popped up in uncanny x-men 155 1982 yeah and uh they didn't 
they they the X-Men were in space for a long time yeah. around that period yeah. when Dave Cockrum came back to the book after John Byrne. And uh, they weren't seen again until 1988. Yeah. Somebody just pulled them out again. I love the brood. I love the X-Men dealing with the brood. I love that issue of Wolverine turning into a brood on the cover, you know, like, Oh my God. That's the God. next one. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> I love it. And it, you know, it's just fun. They did, they did it all here. They did alien. They did the blob, you know, like they had the whole thing. It's kind of like know. body snatchers type stuff, totally. you know, invasion of the body snatchers. A totally. little bit. Mm-hmm. This is great. It's so much fun. And just like peak Mark Silvestri X. Yeah. It's really like, man, he's so good. And the X-Men look, say what you will about Psylocke's armor. And rogues hair and shit. I love it. Okay, I, I love the hair. way they look here so much. It, the designs are so bad, and I love them. Rogue, rogues hair is especially egregious. Oh, man, it looks like she's wearing a skunk on her head. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. So it's terrible. <laughs> What's your rating? Oh, I, I'm get huge by it. I li- yeah, it's is, so good. It's very I, this very. This is back when I was getting the X Men delivered in the mail. Like, and they came in like the little, you know, uh, with the cardboard back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Wrapped in plastic. Oh, yep. man. Loved it. Your mailman folded it up to fit it in the box. Totally. I know how it worked. Next up for me is Batman, number 536 from DC. The year was 1996. This was written by Doug Mensch with art by Kelly Jones. It was a final night tie-in issue. I love Final Night. I love it. It takes place after Hal Jordan freaked out, became Parallax, killed the Green Lantern Corps, and then he put out the sun. No, 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 no. That's not what happened. Oh, it isn't? No. Hal Jordan uh, redeems himself during Final Night. He dies restarting the sun. But at the end of it. At the very end, yes. That's how the Final Night is, how they're saved. But didn't he also put out Uh, the sun? No, uh, a sun eater. Oh, I've basically never read like Night. it ate the sun, like drained all the energy out of out of the sun. I have never read Final Night, so I it's assume- good. It's very good. Stuart Eminen draws it. A very young Stuart Eminen. I would assume that was bad for Superman. It was okay, and they talk about it. We'll save Final Night for a different show, but here Gotham is dealing with permanent nighttime very poorly. As is to be expected for the most dangerous and crazy city in the DCU. Criminals running wild isn't the biggest issue Batman is facing, though. One of his scariest and most monstrous villains has returned, and this time, he's on crack! <laughs> Man Bat is back, and he's, he is on crack! Yeah, he's back, and he's going nuts because of the extended night, and when he attacks two drug dealers and eats their crack cocaine... He goes completely bonkers. You got to imagine that that's not going to hit the same way as like how you're supposed to do it. Maybe it hits even worse. I don't know. Like I've never eaten. I mean, I guess it's not heroin. I don't know. Yeah. I love Doug Mensch's Batman so damn much. Just listen to how he writes GCPD detective Harvey Bullock's dialogue. This is Bullock after he's just gotten a call. There's a giant bat that's messing with people. And he's like, yeah, it's probably just Batman, whatever. And there's Bullock sitting in the office and he says, if the sun don't blink back soon, I'll be busting molars on Verda May's ice rings right before we all face a far worse prospect. Freezing, dropping, and not rotten on a planet of perfect corpses. <laughs> that is great. I love it. <laughs> Writing tie-in issues isn't easy. But Mench's use of Man Bat is almost too good for this setup. And no one draws Man Bat like Kelly Jones. There is a three-panel spread page. It's page 17. 
that I need to own. It is so cool. It's Batman jumping in one direction, Man Bat flying in another direction. It is amazing. Jones hasn't gone totally nuts with his two foot tall bat ears and Slender Man looking Batman at this point, which don't get me wrong, I also dig that. But I honestly feel like when he was holding back his batshit crazy style, I think his pencils were even better. The colors here by Greg Wright are equally amazing, using blues and blacks to reinforce the dark Gotham night and bright yellows because everyone's got candles and lamps on. I got to ask, though, th- there's a part where they mentioned the clench contagion. What is that about? Is that That's part of Batman contagion? Con- that's contagion, yeah. Okay. It was the disease was called the clench. Okay, I thought so. I wasn't sure. I yep. love Batman. I love Man Bat as a character, and sure, he's a Jekyll and Hyde homage and possibly a ripoff of the Spidey villain, the lizard, but he's one of my favorite Bat Baddies. Reading this made me really miss this Batman that was more of a street level detective than a modern total asshole god hero that we have today. <laughs> and given this a huge buy it. Yeah, like, you know, reading this and also the uh, Action Comics issue really made me miss the Batman that um, people in the know could talk to. Right. And like, was he an asshole? Sure. But he wasn't an an in-your-face asshole to people that were working with him. (laughs) Sure. Right. And then and this issue even touches on uh, that 90s, uh, that bit of 90s uh, character business where they were like, oh, most people think Batman's an urban legend. Yeah, yeah. And like they they touch on that and that's fine. But like Bullock obviously knows who Batman is. The bat signal is a real thing that someone's a real man. Well, and, and he calls Bullock and talks to him. Right. And that that's okay, I'm going to circle back to that. Um, But like I, I, I like this. They, they could have merged this particular personality of Batman with the uber competent Grant Morrison. Yeah. Uh, Like mortal god right. or or like mortal amongst gods ultimate batman. man type thing yeah yeah and and it would have been perfect perfect um instead of just like the constant cycle of like oh batman is abusive he's an abusive parent right and uh like why any of these children would follow him is like they they are emotionally have been manipulated <laughs> yeah um but uh no this issue is a, a total blast um, like not only is the art just tremendous, like, I, like I'm not the biggest Kelly Jones fan. Like I, I obviously I, I love his art. I think it's, uh, wonderfully stylized and, uh, like from, in a, in a design way, from a, a design perspective, it's like incredible draftsmanship. Yeah. Um, but it's just like style wise, it's not the sort of thing I gravitate towards normally. Um, but, uh, his work here, you want to talk about Man. like a, a, an artist using a, a horror theme to kind of ramp up, uh, the more atmospheric or moody aspects of their art. Uh, final night was the perfect crossover to tell this story because totally. there's no sun and literally everything is in shadow the entire time. Right. Um, and it's so gorgeous. Um, Bullock Bullock's dialogue is ridiculous. It's so great. Um, in the best way. Um, and he, like, so he's talking to this crackhead who, uh, got chased off by man bat and he's like, ah, Pasha kid, you're lucky. I don't run you in. You better get clean. And here's a ticket to, uh, here's a business card for the drug program and blah, blah, blah. It's probably just Batman, but Batman's not real. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, um, 
he switches. It's like a light switch. Yeah. Because he knows that Batman is listening and he's like, did you hear that? And he starts having a super competent, um, like peer to peer conversation with Batman. Like yeah. Bullock was putting on a show and then the show was over. And it was like that sketch, that Saturday Night Live sketch where Phil Hartman is Ronald Reagan. And he's just like, oh, Cindy. Oh, right. Uh, let's talk about jelly beans and dollies and horsies and whatever. And then the kids leave and he lights a smoke and he's like, all right, get back in here. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me what's going on with Gorbachev. <laughs> um, I love it. I love this. It's so well written. It's so well drawn. It's a huge buy it. Yeah. Final Night is a very underrated crossover. Uh, and DC, for a huge stretch of time, did a great job having these big event stories where all of the tie-ins, and there were always a lot of them, yeah. um, weren't required. And most of the time, they were just character pieces. Right. And like, they were just issues. It wasn't like yeah, there was like a Batman an issue, yeah. and then there was a Batman Final Night, number one, you know, or whatever. Right. No, and it like, just- it's not, and it's, it is also not like, find out what happened. Like, Final Night number two right. ends... And it's like, follow the Justice League into Batman 536. Like, no, none of that shit's going on in here. Right. Uh, it's it's just a character piece about a tragic villain. And it's really wonderful. That's Huge my bomb. favorite thing about Man Bat. It's like, he is, it's not his fault. He is this tragic villain. Like, yeah. he had the best of intentions and he ended up this way. Like, Kirk Connors is a crazy person. Kirk Connors went way, way bad. Eight people, you know? <laughs> well, I, mean, like- I mean, also, that's not like that's the lizard taking over, but yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like uh, Kirk Langstrom, yeah, he just wanted to, he just wanted to cure. Uh, or a something. solution for blindness. Yeah, you, know? you want to cure something. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's so good. Yeah. Let's stay in Gotham for Hitman number 13, also from DC. This uh, came out in 1997, just one year later. It's written by Garth Ennis with art by John McRae. And uh, here's my uh, here's my solicit. Mad science is afoot in Gotham as a government-funded research facility loses control of an experimental gas that reanimates the recently deceased. When the aforementioned mad scientist takes his creation to the one place, he can easily procure a lot of fresh dead bodies Superpowered hitman Tommy Monahan and friends are hired to take him down. It's zombie night at the Gotham Aquarium. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me laugh just saying. It's great. Garth Ennis and John McRae's hitman is one of those hidden gems of the late 90s when DC was willing to experiment with tons of different genre titles, some of which were successful and are fondly remembered. And some of which were scare tactics and gunfire. Sure. But this is a time where comics just sold. So you can write whatever you want. Well, but (laughs) I mean, this was post-crash, right? So, I I mean, they weren't selling like they used to be. I mean, maybe they still were holding on to, like, thinking, like, oh, yeah, let's still do it. No, this is (laughs) post-crash. Hitman was able to brilliantly weave between serious drama and action and absolute absurdity. Guess which one this is. Tommy's group of misfit assassins stumble their way through an aquarium full of horrors and Ennis keeps the moments of comedy coming throughout. This issue sees the start of a running gag involving an idiot named Hacken that lasts up until the end of the series, nearly 50 issues later. 
McRae ramps up the moody shadows to add some horror atmosphere to the ridiculous proceedings, but there's a limit to how seriously you can take an army of cuddly undead seals and penguins. <laughs> yeah, I do like the undead penguins, though, and like uh, the little yeah, white like seals the, like, the red little eyes. baby seals are like <laughs> see, like sea lions are scary, but like there were some baby seals in the front there. Just yeah. like, oh. It's all so delightfully outrageous in a way that few creative teams can pull off this well. Luckily, the team of Ennis and McRae is one of them. This series was a true delight from start to finish, sometimes irreverent, sometimes heartbreaking, usually hilarious. Zombie night at the zombie aquarium. Nope, I said zombie twice. Yeah. Zombie night at the Gotham Aquarium delivered gory laughs in the way only Hitman could. It's a huge buy it from me. Uh, speaking of final night and character pieces in the tie-ins, Hitman. Uh, was relatively new, uh, not far into its run when Final Night occurred. And the, of course, they had to have a tie-in issue. The tie-in issue is Tommy and his friends uh, boarded up in the bar telling war stories. Oh, yeah. That's and right. that's it. Yeah. That's the entire issue. It's like a bottle episode. And uh, some maniac busts in like, it's like day three of the of the blackout. Right. <laughs> some maniac busts down the door of the bar. Um, uh, scrounging for food and stuff and he is immediately met with a, an army of like the scariest looking dudes in the city holding guns in his face and he's like my mistake <laughs> I'm gonna back right out uh, it's so good it's so good read Hitman this issue is definitely a buy it yeah Hitman is a riot and it reminds me that John McRae has always been kick ass this guy just started great like there, there wasn't a, it wasn't a thing where it's like John. It's McCray, true. Look, young John McRae. Remember when he was trying to figure it out? No, he was. No, John McRae was always, always great. great. Yeah. And this series is wonderful. And it's everything you said, irreverent. And also like sometimes tugs on your heartstrings a little bit. And yeah. Like, like they do like they, they deal with some real stuff like, yeah. uh, like, you know, POWs and, and, yeah. and um, like loss of loss of uh, military brethren and all sorts of like, and, also, the threats get super serious. Right. Uh, Hitman so was also probably a book that didn't sell as well as DC would have liked. But it limped along I think to, they know to 60 issues. I think that Garth yeah. Ennis was so talented and they wanted him around. They were like, let him do his thing. Because, like, this is just wonderful Garth Ennis stuff. God, I love yep. it. I loved Hitman. Me too. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Let's get out of Gotham and move to New York City for the Spectre, number 52. New York City? Get a rope. It's from DC. It's 1997. Here's your creative team. It was written by John Astrander with art by Tom Mandrake. Shortly after Final Night, which we cannot get away from. I know. <laughs> where the Spectre was hanging with the Earth Spirit, Gaia, and feeding her to keep her alive. Not that I'm really sure what that means. All I could picture was I some think he kind was like feet like weird breastfeeding. <laughs> yeah, so. Feeding her, yeah, he, she was suckling on his teeth. I don't. No, I know. think he was. She, he was just like imbuing her with his own. I guess you know, they like energy. they shared a body, and he says it kind of made her crazy, made him crazy because he's like the spirit of vengeance, and she's a spirit of renewal, and it's sort of messing with his head. Jimmy Corrigan is sharing a body with Nate Kane, who is a police officer, and also just happens to be the liaison to metahumans in New York. But Jimmy, who shares his body with the specter, is also allowed to walk around too sometimes. 
it was a little confusing for me. <laughs> I think the specter like came out when he slept or something. I don't know exactly because like Jimmy is definitely doing stuff in this. Oh, no, I think that, like, the specter would retreat into his body to rest. But what it's I'm saying is like, he was puppeting Jimmy around. But you have two normal people. This Nate Kane has a specter in him. Jim and- Corrigan is not a normal person. He is a ghost. Okay, that's what I didn't understand. Jim Corrigan is a ghost that can walk around like a man. Okay, and people could see him and talk to yes, him. Yes, like, okay. as far as anyone that meets him is concerned, Jim Corrigan is a guy, but I he is not a guy. I did not know what was going on No, there. he it is was, a dead person. It was like screwing me up. If you don't know, the Spectre is the living embodiment of the vengeance of God, kind of like DC's Ghost Rider. And here he's going a little nuts after the whole Gaia thing and setting the Joker free from judgment at some point, which I'm not sure how that went down. Not guilty (laughs) by temporary insanity. I don't know. know. Now the Spectre shows up at Attica Prison in upstate New York and proceeds to murder the guilty on death row, including dirty cops in truly horrifying manner. (laughs) Meanwhile, Jimmy Corrigan is remembering a crime that one innocent man on death row was convicted of and is due to be executed by lethal injection the following night. In an attempt to save the innocent inmate's life, Jimmy takes control of the specter and returns to Attica and demands the stay of execution, saying if the people of New York ordered the wrongful execution of the inmate, then he would take vengeance on the people of New York. So <laughs> the, I loved that, that bit of a bluff, you yeah, know, the governor, or, or was it a bluff? I you know? don't know. The governor of course orders the stay of execution and Jimmy will continue his search for the real killer in the next issue. I've wanted to check out this Ostrander and Mandrake Spectre run for a long oh, time. Oh, so good. I might even own the whole run. I think it could be filed away somewhere. I think I bought this whole run at one point. Uh, I inherited a complete run from Big Mike, uh, so I have it. If you want to borrow it, we can work that out. That might be what I was thinking of. Maybe I thought. Oh, but I check the DC app. I I, yeah. It's on the app. I love Tom Mandrake, though, and he is perfect to do this very creepy specter who is basically green cape, shadows, and arms every once in a while. I've always thought the specter. Oh, also, underpants. He's you, got underpants. Yeah, don't forget the underpants. You don't really see those here, though. They kind of. This specter is way more ghostly. You don't really see him walking on two legs. Like yeah, you he's did more like a age. mist most times, really, when he appears. Yeah, right. Yep. I've exactly. always thought the specter was a really dumb golden or possibly silver age idea. But this team does a fantastic job making the character legit scary. The world seems to know of his existence, too. So I'm not real sure why anyone is committing crimes at this point. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's true. Right? It's not like if you're in New York and you commit a crime, Batman's probably not going to come get you because Batman lives in Gotham and he's got shit going on. The Spectre, on the other hand, is not unlike a god. <laughs> so, I mean, criminals are stupid. I you guess. Know? Uh, <laughs> and also, they probably figure it's like... You know, why do we, why does anybody commit crimes when there's a fair chance that they'll be gunned down in cold blood by a yeah. overzealous police officer? Sure. And why um, is anyone robbing a bank in like Metropolis? Regardless, you know? regardless of the level of severity of their crime. I guess. Um, but also, you know, they probably think, oh, he can't be everywhere. Well, guess what? He's got God powers. So sure, maybe sure. don't trust it. Ostrander's script is a little dense. There's like a in the very opening scene. We see Jimmy Corrigan and he's like, Shouts out, Balzac! What's going on? I feel no, that so was the odd other guy, and so out of it. 
Oh, no, you're right. It was Nate. And, and like Jimmy was sort of like coming back into him. But who uses a French author's name as an exclamation? <laughs> like, uh, you're a cop, sir. <laughs> like, what the hell? I really like the social commentary on the death penalty, though, and how the legal process can be more of a machine dealing out its definition of justice, whether or not it's justified. I would love to see how that plays out in court, though. Your Honor, the spirit of vengeance was going to kill the entire state of New York in revenge for this man's wrongful execution. What did you want us to do? (laughs) I'm sure Corrigan goes to expose the guilty party and the inmate walks free. But I do plan to read more of this run. Truth be told, everything I know about the Spectre comes from Hal Jordan's brief time with the job and a few issues of Jeff John's JSA. I'm giving this a buy it. And if for no other reason, Tom Mandrake's creepy art, man. He draws scary pictures and I love it. But yes, this run is exceptional and uh, it's very, very good. And it's it's Ostrander and Mandrake for the entire run, yeah. barring, you know, the occasional fill-in art. Um, but yeah, I, it's highly recommended. This is a very good issue. And like the last thing you want, uh, is a specter that's gone off the rails. DC has done, uh, event stories where that happens and it is very bad. <laughs> this is a buy it from me. I love this run. This is a very good issue. And again, yeah, specter off his meds is, uh, is a, is a bad scene. <laughs> I think it was like well, a and, I, and I, and I do think that this, at least in the case of the specter, like he's like, he was still at this time fulfilling that purpose yeah no he was so, definitely working for god he was talking about it and because like yeah. Corgan was like not agreeing with things that the specter was doing and mm-hmm. tra- and t- taking control of him like in this scene where he like goes back to the prison and he's like that guy's innocent let him go the specter right because when the specter was there the specter was like he was like i'm innocent he's like yeah i know so i'm not killing you and he's like so let me out of here and specter's like nah i don't give a shit about you yeah, right that's it's not, not my, my problem job. that's mortal that's a mortal matter yeah mortal matter um, yeah, huge buy it. This is a great comic uh, from a great run. Absolutely check it out. This report is the result of my investigation into the deaths attributed to the so-called Giants of Geneva. I believe it will prove once and for all the existence of the so-called Monster of Frankenstein. Finally, our final review goes to Punisher number 11. We're still in New York City, just a few hundred feet below. It's from Marvel Comics. The year was 2010. The price was $2.99. It's written by Rick Remender with art by Tony Moore. Once upon a time, Rick Remender dared to ask the question, if the Punisher lives in the Marvel Universe, why doesn't he go after supervillains more often? From that was born a very underrated run that saw Frank obliterating entire bars full of D-listers all at once and taking a shot at Norman Osborn after the American government put him in charge of national security. That did not work out so well. So (laughs) the logical progression (laughs) could only be Frank's grisly death and resurrection as a Frankenstein. That's right. (laughs) That's right. The premise is ridiculous, of course, and completely out of bounds for a character like the Punisher. And that's why it works so well for me. Remender leans heavy into the insanity of the concept and still somehow manages to humanize the truly inhuman. I can't really think of a better modern comic artist to tackle such a gonzo story than Tony Moore. Yeah. He was born to draw the weird and the grotesque. Absolutely. And you can tell he's having a blast here kind of in the same way. Like it, 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 it kind of gave me the same uh, vibe as like, 
Donnie Cates and Ryan Stegman on the Venom book. For sure. Or it's like, you know that these guys just fucking love Venom. Right. Like, this is so bonkers. You can tell they're just yeah. giggling while they're, they're so, making it. like, right. Yeah, exactly. Frankencastle gets a bad rap as a quote unquote terrible chapter in the Punisher's history, but it is told with such manic joy that you can't help but be swept up by it, especially when you know deep down it's just a fun, temporary diversion from Frank's trip back from the grave. Calm down. And it's so much better than his brief stint as an angelic assassin. Oh it is God. laughable. Ugh. That comic was so bad. Yeah, we talked about it, actually. It's, yeah, we did. It's completely and this, terrible. And Frankencastle is so much fun. And this gets treated like Catwolf. It's, it, people laugh about this. Yeah, like they it's a hate it. Thing. And yeah. it, that's, it's not. This was fantastic. No. This was so much fun. And, well, just, and, like, like, and, and if you can set aside fun, you know, yes. And if you can, and if you can set aside like the, like, yes, the concept is ridiculous. That's the whole point. Right. If you can set that aside and just kind of give yourself over to it, it's like, there's this very poignant and uh, compelling uh, undercurrent of like these refugees basically that are being exterminated yeah. because they're different. And it's like, oh, like this is some serious stuff. It just so happens we're talking about moloids and werewolves and mummies and right, shit. Right. But and it's yeah, it, it's, it, it's there's so a good. message. And like, okay, so Cap Wolf, we all agreed. Bad art, bad setup, mm -hmm. bad plot, bad story. So if you want to say that this is a bad plot, fine. You don't like it. It's silly. It's so silly I can't handle it. But you can't say it's a bad story. You can't say the art is bad and you no. can't say this isn't well executed. This is a fantastic, Absolutely. fun book. And it was short. I mean, what Frankie Castle lasted what? Six issues. Um, I, so it was the last four issues of this four run. Issues. Okay. Uh, oh, but I believe that there was, um, there was another run, uh, after, uh, I think an actual series called Frankencastle. Maybe I, I was confused by it, but I think maybe it was like 10 or 12 issues in total. I'd have to look. I didn't even think it was that long, but regardless, it was so much fun. Get over it. You big babies. Like, look at this point, we had done just about everything we can possibly do with the Punisher. And the only other person that could do it like on a regular basis and do it tolerably and right was garth ennis and garth ennis was tired of doing it and also we had like a max book that was not taking place in the regular mcu but also good but like what are we doing <laughs> you know this was just right. fun <laughs> yeah 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 it's just it's just really oh okay so yes um it's it's Punisher 11 through 16. Okay. And then the book was renamed Frankencastle yeah. for 17 through 21. Okay. So it's about 10 or 10 or 11 issues. Gotcha. Um, and then that's not counting like the tie in, the dark rain tie in parts where Dawkins decapitates Frank. Yeah. Uh, you know, like Dawkins chops, like literally chops him into bits. Sure. <laughs> That was some truly bone-chilling comic business, but before the Cosmic Long Box lets us off this ride, we need to pick one of these creepy books to enter the THN Permanent Collection. Matt, which comic scared you the most? It's Batman 536, no question. I love this run of Batman so damn much, and I miss it. I miss it so much. There's still plenty of good Batman stories that are happening right now. Don't get me wrong, but like we discussed, there was something about this Batman, the artists that were working on it, the way Doug Minch was writing it at the time, where it just like, I just missed that street level Gotham Batman. 
you know, and not every week when like Gotham's being taken over by the magistrate or Gotham fell into a hole or dinosaurs are eating Gotham. <laughs> like, it just, there was just problems. Where's Gotham that crossover? just had a lot of problems. Well, there was the monster attack one where the Gotham. Oh, yeah, uh, right. Yeah, the monster. Giant monsters attacked Gotham. <laughs> I think I'm going to I'm going to join you. I'm going to give it to Batman. Um, you know, my heart wants to give it to Action Comics, uh, but, you know, that's a part of that. It's also a nostalgia. I had it as a kid. But this Batman comic was just very um, outstanding. Like, I, I have not read huge chunks of this run. Um, I, I kind of came on to Batman a little bit later after Doug Mensch. Uh, uh, actually, no, I think I was reading Detective and not Batman at the time. So Alan Grant was writing that one. Okay. See, I was and, reading this. Um, I wasn't reading the Detective at the time. Yeah, I think I was reading Detective because I really liked Graham Nolan, uh, the artist. I started and, reading it because of Graham Nolan, but like... It was Doug Mensch because I loved Moon Knight so much that I was sure, like, yeah. well, I got to check out his Batman, right? I like that's right, Batman's yeah. a total rip off Moon Knight. This is bullshit. I got to check it out. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, you know, I made a choice at the time. It may not have been the right choice, but like I can distinctly remember looking and seeing these kind of terrifying Kelly Jones covers. Yeah. Um, and not every issue was supposed to be terrifying. No. <laughs> uh, Batman 536. It's very good. Excellent character work. Yeah. Excellent art. Kelly yeah, Jones I think is so it, scary. He can make the KG beast look scary. <laughs> okay. Think about that for a minute. Yeah. Because that character is dumb. If you want to learn more about these comics, check out our show notes where you can find links for all the books we discussed. And if you want to read along with THN, you can find each episode's review list on our Twitter and Facebook weekly every Tuesday. Also, let us know what you thought about these books or your favorite superhero horror crossovers on our live call-in show, THN Cover to Cover, this Saturday on Facebook Live from 11 to noon Central Time. Now that we're back in our proper timeline, Matt and I are once again communing with the THN Ouija board to glean the secrets of next week's comics so we can tell you what you should be reading. Matt, it seems we've got Boston Brand on the line here. Which comic from next Wednesday, November 3rd, does he have you all excited for? He's got me fired up for Newburn, number one, from Image Comics. It's $3.99. It's written by Chip Zdarsky and Nadia Shamas with art by... Jacob Phillips and wow, Zied Yusuf Ayub. And I apologize. Sure. I'm trying no, as hard as I can here. Right. I'm doing everything I get. I'm doing my best. All right. Here's your solicit. Easton Newburn is a private detective without loyalties, investigating conflicts between rival crime factions while collecting enemies along the way. In this debut issue, a man is murdered after stealing from his own mafia family but they aren't the ones who ordered the hit. This new ongoing series from Chip Zdarsky. Come on, guys. <laughs> and Jacob Phillips, who is drawing that Texas blood. He is so Oh, good. yeah, I do like Jacob Phillips. Really, really, like, really, uh, really, uh, really good. Texas blood is good. This also features a riveting backup story, Brooklyn Zirconia by rising stars Nadia Shamas and Ziad Youssef Ayoub. So that's where the other artists work. Look, Chip Zdarsky, I'll take more. I don't yep. care what he's writing. Yep. I, I don't care if Chip Zdarsky is on the next IDW Beast Wars, you know, story arc. I'm in. <laughs> Let's go. Okay? I mean, that's, that's fair enough, I suppose. <laughs>
My pick of the week. I tried to resist it, but I couldn't. It's Human Target number one from DC. This is Black gonna be Label. really good. It might be really this good. This is what Tom it's King should be doing. We'll see. It's written by Tom King with art by Greg Smallwood. Love Greg Smallwood. Uh, look, look, next week is a, a pretty great release week, yeah. actually. There's a new Mark Russell book out that um, I wanted to pick. There are lots of projects starting next week that I'm like, ooh, I'm into that. But I have to give it to Human Target. Here's your solicit. Christopher Chance has made a living out of being a human target, a man hired to disguise himself as his client to invite would-be assassins to attempt his murder. He's had a remarkable career until his latest case protecting Lex Luthor when things go sideways. An assassination attempt Chance didn't see coming leaves him vulnerable and left trying to solve his own murder as he has 12 days to discover just who in the DCU hated Luthor enough to want him dead. Spoilers. There's probably quite a few suspects. Yeah, I can name a hundred. <laughs> so, <laughs> Human Target is a hard-boiled, gritty story in the vein of classic detective noirs told by best-selling yada, yada, yada. Uh, first of all, uh, Greg Smallwood is my number one draw here. I love Greg Smallwood so, so good. much. Yeah. Um, you know, Tom King, I, I, you know, you can listen to past episodes. I've had some opinions about Tom King. Uh, they haven't always been favorable. Um, but I do think that he's got a strong voice as a writer. Oh, no, I mean, no question. Um, no question of that. He makes some weird choices. Now, here's the thing that flips my lid a little bit here. I didn't realize that this is like taking place in the DCU because the human target. It's not really. Never really I mean, did it's, that. Uh, like in the same sense that anything bat like Batman related from Black Label is in the DCU. No, I mean, I know that it's Black Label, so it, it's whatever. But I mean, like. Christopher Chance was never interacting with characters like Lex Luthor. He was always uh, being like, okay, like a so real you're thinking of the Vertigo story, right? version. The Human Target debuted in like the '60s, right? But was it in the DCU? Yeah, oh, certainly. Okay, I didn't know that. I, yep. I didn't uh, know that. And uh, so, yeah, this is kind of like Christopher Chance back in uh, interacting in the kind of grander. I'm okay um, with that. I comic book world. Yeah. And like, and also like number two selling point for me is that this is basically a Justice League International uh, comic because they are the major guest stars, <laughs> at least for the beginning of the run. Okay. Uh, we're talking like the Giffen and Dimatteis, Kevin Maguire, Justice League with Guy Gardner and Fire and Ice and Blue Beetle. Right, right. And um, I'm like, okay, yeah, well. All right. You got me. You got me. And uh, I really want it to be good. So I hope it's good. The THN trade of the week goes to Friday, volume one, first day of Christmas, the trade paperback. It's from Image Comics, 1499. It's written by Ed Brubaker with art by Marcos Martin and Munsta Vincente, two guys that we love on this show. Collected in print for the first time, a young adult detective hero finally grows up in the first volume of this genre-defying post-YA masterpiece from award-winning creators, yada, 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 I just told you all about them. Okay. Friday Fitzhugh spent her childhood solving crimes and digging up occult secrets with her best friend, Lancelot Jones. I love it. That is a name, man. <laughs> the smartest boy in the world. But that was the past. Now she's in college, starting a new life on her own, or so she thought. When Friday comes home for the holidays, she's immediately pulled back into Lance's orbit and finds that something very strange and dangerous is happening in their little New England town. This is literally the Christmas vacation from hell, and they may not survive to see the new year. It collects Friday, one through three, 
I didn't know this was a thing. Did I miss this? Uh, so this was, uh, the reason I picked this is because this was a panel syndicate Oh. Uh, digital okay. comic series. That's why I didn't And know. we don't often, uh, we don't really, uh, th- the failing is our own. Um, we don't really talk too much about panel, panel syndicate uh, these days. Uh, it's just, it's kind of out of our regular, yeah. um, I don't know what you call it. it, it it's, purview. Uh, it, it's not out of our purview. It's just that like, we don't really know what's going on there most of the time. Uh, they don't get a lot of press. They just put out their books. They sure. put out their books and the books are good. And then eventually the books are printed. And now yeah. Yeah. this book Friday is coming to print um, like the private I did. And uh, it sounds amazing. Like yeah. it, it's like Encyclopedia Brown meets uh, Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. And it's Ed Brubacher. And the Scooby How gang. Not like that. Right. And uh, that guy we like, knew that used uh, to say Ed Brubacher. <laughs> Ed Brubacher. Like, Why are you saying that? Like that? <laughs> you want to read these comics? You're in luck. All you have to do is pre-order them from your local comic shop and they'll be waiting in your poll file. It is that easy. While you're at your LCS, you've only got one more week to pick up our Take a Look. It's in a book club read. Joe Hill's Basket Full of Heads from the uh, now revived, it's feeling much better, yeah. DC, Black Label, Hill House, Imprint, and it is available in comic shops everywhere right now. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 641. Next week, we'll be reviewing new comics from Wednesdays, 1027 and 11.3+. Plus. We're going to give you a sneak peek of our Patreon extra segment where we're joined by former host of the award-winning Burt Wieners podcast, Mr. John Luttrell. For our take a look, it's in a book club review of Joe Hill's Basketful Heads. We were just talking about it, and I believe Burt Wieners won a Peabody. Don't check me on that, though. Um, yeah, I, I heard, I think it was a technical Emmy, <laughs> Is that what you know? Okay. So it was the Emmys that nobody watches because oh, gotcha, it's gotcha. all about like, yeah, the nerd weird stuff. technical crap. Right. Yeah. If you want to wrap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerdy news we're following, hit us up on our live call-in show. We call it THN cover to cover. We do it every Saturday at 11 central standard time. I was just talking about this a little bit ago, folks. That's how excited we are about it. We do it on our Facebook page and don't forget about our question of the week. This week's question was submitted by Scott Evil via the THN forums. In the spirit of Halloween, can you name one comic or other nerd media that you found legitimately scary? Not like in a DC Halloween special kind of way, but something truly unsettling, nightmarish, or spooky. So, we're not talking about a horror movie. No. Um, it's something nerdy. But like, you know, it doesn't have to be a comic. When Man Bat shows up in Arkham Knights, that would totally count. <laughs> that scared the hell out of me. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, sure. Or like that that fight with Killer Croc in the sewers was very intense yeah. and scary. Uh, something nerd adjacent that scared you. Please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. You can call us at 402-819-4894 or join our Zoom by clicking on the link in the Facebook Live video chat when Cover to Cover launches on Saturday. If you can't be there live, shoot an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave us a message at the aforementioned hotline and you could be internet famous. If you're going to leave a message or send in an MP3, please uh, try to keep it to two minutes or less. We have a lot of air to share with our live uh, viewers. And, uh, you know, we just kind of love them just a tiny little bit more than you. Yeah. 
get like just a tiny like I mean a tiny little bit. Yeah, get your priorities straight and show up for the show, will you? There you go. If you're new to the show and you'd rather be chemically turned into a golden retriever than listen to any more, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. Good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at toitanerd.com. THN, it's a listener-supported podcast, and it would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our newest patron, Nomadic Wanderer. That guy we're, sounds rad. We're two for two with our mysterious stranger <laughs> that donors. That guy sounds kick-ass, right? He's like the Phantom Stranger type, like crazy. Yeah. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd where you'll hear all kinds of exclusive content or just make a one-time donation via PayPal because you, you don't, you don't need gifts. You just want to put joy out into the universe. Look at you. You're like a goddamn Care Bear. I'm proud of you. I love it. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Tom Taylor and John Timms, the creative team of Superman, son of Kal-El. They took a lot of shit online from some serious trolls after the news came out that John Kent was bisexual, but it paid off. Issue number five has more than sold out in pre-orders, and DC is reporting huge demand for reprints of issues one through four. Where do you boys and I uh, guess the Comic Skate crowd who predicted this book would go down in flames doesn't have their thumb on the pulse of the market after all. Yeah, they're... It's like they're always wrong. Hundred percent of the time. Who could predict that they're just out of touch with yeah. the public consciousness? Go figure. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics, or your retailer might just wolf out and lift his leg all over your stack. This is the two-headed nerd. There's no indicator that Cap Wolf actually it relieved himself like that on in an inappropriate yeah but you gotta assume because he had the weird bendy legs and everything so it's yeah gotta assume he's not standing up and peeing like that it'd go straight up in his face you know (laughs) (laughs) okay but first your onomatopoeia of the week i'm never gonna be able to scrub this from my mind Hello, this is Security AI, Aegis from Earth 27 calling with your onomatopoeia of the week. It is 3 days 1 hour and 18 minutes since I last deployed countermeasures. There will be a social gathering this afternoon in the green area cafeteria. To celebrate the festival of the yellow sign. Attendance is mandatory. All employees will enjoy this event. Your onomatopoeia of the week is... Whoosh! Whoosh! Is the sound of Squirrel Girl. Repeatedly throwing Craven the Hunter into the air. Until she can work out what to do with him. In the pages of the unbeatable Squirrel Girl number 1 published 2015. Remember, Aegis is always watching. It's for your protection. Goodbye.